that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. Welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst, and on the show, we hear from the Coalition of Child Care Advocates of BC on their recently released plan to make child care universally accessible in Vancouver and cities across the province. And I'm talking with Sharon Gregson about what that universal child care program would look like in cities across British Columbia. This is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
You're tuned in here to the city on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca. And we're here on Tuesdays, 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR, and syndicated 10 to 11 a.m. on podcast from the program's website and blog, and uh, featuring lots of online content uh, in addition to a podcast archive. And that's available at www.thecityfm.com. Org. And on today's program, we're talking about the issue of child care, which goes beyond the provision of, um, of, u- of universal care for families. And we need to, so this is an issue that, that we need to address and that um, we don't have um, a provincial government um, that is tasked with providing universal um, uh, care for families. And it's something that I'm talking today with um, Sharon Gregson, and this is a conversation um, going dating back to uh, early July, uh, sorry, uh, late July of this year, 2012. 
and uh, we were talking about um, the Coalition of Child Care Advocates um, plan, um, which they've uh, titled Community Plan for a Public System of Integrated Early Care and Learning. And so this is a plan um, looking at a public, um, publicly funded and operated program um, which provides universal um, early learning care, and, known as child care, um, and you know, making it accessible and making it um, something that is financially sustainable and also looking beyond that and also looking at um, the, the wages and how we value the work of child care professionals and child care workers in the field um, from, um, from all different um, aspects of um, early care learning. So looking at it holistically and building a network um, of uh, local delivery um, for childcare um, across BC cities. So this is um, a plan that came out uh, in April 2011, so uh, dating back um, a, a while now, um, but not too long, quite recent. And so within that, we're going to talk about a number of things. We're going to talk specifically about the plan and what that would look like on the ground in Vancouver. Um, but beyond that, I think I also want to mention that um, the issue of child care provision goes beyond just child care itself. Um, we also need to look um, at the wages that come out of um, this sector and um, what that looks like for child care workers in the city and beyond um, in cities across BC. And obviously this is a much bigger issue than just here in BC, here in Vancouver. Um, but we'll hear from Sharon Gregson that this is part of a plan that recognizes the importance of value, valuing child care workers and seeking economic justice for the crucially important work that they do. And uh, to sort of, um, as, a, as a way to look at um, and have this, keep this in mind with, with the discussion um, with uh, Sharon Gregson, we're going to, I want to first read um, an excerpt from um, uh, writing from Geraldine Pratt, and she is a professor of geography um, at UBC, and uh, an article uh, titled Valuing Child Care, Troubles in Suburbia. And uh, she talks about the struggle for living wages, um, which is uh, certainly, um, this is a sector with um, wages that are not considered living wage. And if you recall, the living wage now in Vancouver is $19.12. So we're, we're looking at uh, wages that often in this, in this sector fall far below that. And this is crucially important work, but not necessarily valued in the same way that we see um, elementary school teachers or high school teachers, um, the, the wages that are provided for that type of work. So um, I'm going to just quickly um, quote from, from her article. And again, this is Geraldine Pratt, professor of geography at UBC. Although I've located concerns about the quality of informal home-based child care in the suburbs, they certainly reach beyond this location. Child care advocates estimate that 69% of Canadian children under six in family child care are in unregulated situations that do not meet the basic health and safety requirements. And the vast majority of Canadian children are now cared for in informal arrangements that are purely custodial and are not, quote, by any stretch of the imagina imagination, early childhood education, end quote. National polls indicate that the majority of Canadians wish to improve this situation and explicitly favor more government support for the National Child Care Program. For example, a poll sponsored by Human Resources Development Canada in 1998 found that 88% of those polled strongly agreed with such expanded government support. Uh, 
I have tried to show, however, that through everyday practices that render childcare as gendered, invisible, and low-skilled, middle-class Canadian employers reproduce childcare as undervalued and low-paid labor. Feminists have a long history of tracing and retracing, and retracing again, the connections between valuing childcare and attaining the quality childcare that so many Canadians desire. I would be pleased if my analysis brought the two women with whom I began this essay to align themselves on the same side of a political struggle for higher wages for domestic workers. One way that I've attempted to do so is by arguing that middle-class Canadian women's childcare needs are not achievable as long as wages for childcare are low. Beyond this, all of the interviewed women's lives were affected by gendered assumptions about childcare responsibilities and their worth. The 20-year-old suburban childcare provider who still still lives with her parents because her wages are so are low inhabits the same discursive world as the stressed middle-class legal assistant who quit her job because the $1,100 she paid monthly for childcare was insufficient to purchase adequate care. By her calculation, this left only $700 in her pocket at the end of the month, a sum that presumes that childcare expenses come out of her pocket alone. We need to trace these connections to build more effective organizing around domestic labor. We also have to pay attention to the blurring of the mobility around some of the lines of difference. For example, class, race, nationality, that have preoccupied feminists over the last decade. As, for example, when a middle-class employer paying $7.50 an hour for childcare repositions herself as a childcare provider who receives only $4.50 per hour. There is an affinity between her fluid movement between professional and domestic labor and the experiences of Filipino live-in caregivers who leave professional jobs in the Philippines, often as nurses, to take up domestic work in Canada. Profoundly sexist assumptions naturalize both of these transitions in employment situation. These assumptions do the violence of rendering both as unremarkable. These blurred moments provide important opportunities for political identification among women, identification that builds from documenting the concrete, specific, material points of connection between women situated differently in terms of other social relations. Social exclusion resulting from the devaluation of domestic work thus remains an important pivot around which to organize across various groups of women. If Professor M. Friendly is right that childcare has only deteriorated in Canada through the 1990s, forging these identifications is critically important for building a political will to achieve high-quality and affordable childcare that pays a fair living wage to those who provide it. This requires a domestic revolution, one that transforms our thinking about the entire economy. As Professor Fulber argues, quote, we can't continue to visualize the economy as a man's world of cars and trucks and steel, things that can be easily counted and weighed. We need to improve our measure of the kinds of success we care about. Otherwise, we will not be able to reward the kinds of behavior we most value, end quote. Rethinking the economy is especially pressing, given given existing pressures on the welfare state, the prevalence of elderly suburban women supplementing their pensions with below minimum wages, for instance, calls up an even wider set of articulations across women and other categories of social exclusion. The direction that this revolution in thinking and practice should take is open for discussion and will usefully include childcare options that both exceed the market and address desires that some parents may have to provide home more care for their children over extended periods of time. That so many Vancouver parents were so eager to discuss their current troubles can only be a good thing. And that's Professor Geraldine Pratt at the UBC Department of Geography writing in a 2003 article published in the journal Antipode 
valuing childcare, troubles in suburbia. And that gives a bit of context to uh, the fact that this is more about just the, the mere provision of childcare across cities in BC and beyond. Um, but this is a matter of providing uh, living wages and valuing the labor that uh, child care workers provide um, in in the city and in all cities and beyond. So now we're going to go into um, my talk with uh, Sharon Gregson. And Sharon is uh, uh, has been a longtime advocate for early child care, and her advocacy started in 1987 as a mother with four young children of her own needing to access affordable, quality daycare for her own family and uh, started speaking out on behalf of all parents who desperately need a publicly funded childcare system in this province and country. Sharon speaks out regularly on the impact of public policy on working families, of government inaction and the needs of women and children. She works at the Coalition of Child Care Advocates of BC and has represented British Columbia on the, on the board of the Child Care Advocacy Association of Canada and Child Care Human Resource Sector Council. She was a parent representative on the board of the Canadian Child Care Federation and she was um, also an elected trustee on the Vancouver Board of Education, ensuring that child care issues are a consideration within the education system. And she served two terms as a Vancouver School Board trustee um, with the Coalition of Progressive Electors, COPE, and then Vision Vancouver. Sharon has hands-on experience with ch- the child care field as she is the Director of Child and Family Development Services at a large service community, a uh, large multi-service community hub in East Vancouver, and that's the Collingwood Neighborhood House. And um, we're going to go right into this. This is, again, the City on CITR 101.9 FM and available at the cityfm.org, as well as uh, we're here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca. This is Sharon Gregson. I start by asking you to tell me a little bit about who you are and um, how you came to be involved in child care and, and early care learning. Sure, happy to do that. So I came to the child care issue like very many people do as a young parent. I was um, mother of two young boys, a one-year-old and a two-year-old. I was just going to back to university and showed up at Simon Fraser University Child Care Society with my two little baby boys in tow, uh, first day of classes, expecting that because there was child care on campus and because I paid taxes and because I needed child care, that there would be a space available to me that um, was both available and affordable. And it was quite a shock to me then as a a young woman in my 20s that neither was the case, that they didn't have a space for me. And even if they did, I wouldn't have been able to afford it. So at that moment and during that process, I became a child care advocate, started speaking out about the needs of parents to be able to access high quality care for their kids that they could uh, afford and that paid staff a decent wage for the important work that they did. So that was in 1987, I guess, and I've been involved as a volunteer and now um, working with the Coalition of Child Care Advocates uh, for the last couple of years to um, really push the plan forward as a solution to the child care crisis and um, really stay on top of the momentum that has been generated um, through the excitement of this plan about having affordable child care in this province. Can you talk about what the child care crisis is? Sure. So anybody with 
young children um, who's trying to either participate in the paid labor force or who's trying to go to school or who even just wants to give their kids a quality early care and learning experience before they enter the kindergarten system knows that child care spaces that are quality and that are licensed are far too few. There are long waiting lists in many, many areas across the province. They're also very unaffordable. Um, Care in Vancouver now has reached almost $2,000 a month per child. Um, Even in other places in the province, while it's not that expensive, it's still horrendously expensive for most families. And so if spaces are sitting empty, it's only because people can't afford them, not because they don't need them. And at the same time, we've got um, early childhood educators who are earning poverty wages, uh, who can't afford to put their own children into the programs that they work in. So they make, um, in some parts of the province, less than $12 an hour. Um, even in Vancouver, um, lucky to be making the provincial average of $16 an hour. So um, times are rough if you work in the sector, and most women, if they um, get a a diploma or a certificate in early childhood education don't stay because they can't live on the poverty wages. Yeah, and I was just going to mention, uh, we just had the, the most recent numbers on a living wage in Vancouver released, and uh, it's roughly around $19.12, I believe, if I'm correct on that. So $16 is clearly under that, and the living wage is by no means living in luxury. So um, exactly. a point well taken. Mm-hmm. And a, a large component of that, the increase in the living wage, is because of childcare. Childcare is the second highest expense for families with children after their housing. So a massive amount of money that people, you know, you're either very wealthy or very lucky to be able to find and afford a licensed childcare space. And so the plan was born out of a collaboration between the Early Childhood Educators of BC, and that's the professional organization of early childhood educators, and the Coalition of Childcare Advocate, uh, Coalition of Childcare Advocates of BC, uh, who I work with. Um, those two organizations have partnered uh, to develop the plan, born out of their multiple decades of experience, and uh, it's been and is being enthusiastically received by municipalities who are supporting it across the province, school districts, um, business, boards of trade, early childhood educators, childcare organizations, um, social justice organizations, anti-poverty organizations, and um, now almost a thousand individuals online have taken the time to go to the website and endorse the plan. So it's a, a massive undertaking. And we have got the attention of the political parties as well. So it's becoming more and more likely and more and more a reality that um, government and the opposition have to deal with this crisis and have to deal with the plan. Now at the local level... um is it, would it be correct to say that um, the Coalition of Progressive Electors and Vision Vancouver have both signed on as supporters? We just received the formal endorsement from COPE, the Coalition mm-hmm. of Progressive Electors, and Vision is certainly supporting the plan and has organized community forums to present it and uh, is planning to do more, and uh, we're hoping that they'll also be issuing a formal endorsement, yes. Okay. And uh, have you had... Um, any uh, any word from the nonpartisan association, the NPA, um, on endorsing the plan? Well, when the plan went to the Vancouver School Board for support, um, there were at that 
appoint two NPA trustees sitting on the board, um, Kendon Ike and Carol Gibson, and they both voted, um, the vote was unanimous, um, to support the plan from the, the point of view from, of the Vancouver School Board. Um, but as an organization, the NPA has been silent at this point. Okay. And uh, provincially, just going to go through... Uh, um sort of all the all the levels of uh, support that would be required i assume both parties are um not talking about this until the uh campaign really heats up <laughs> mm-hmm. well that's our push at the moment yeah. is to make sure that the plan so ten dollar a day child care is um part of the election platform of um, both parties, we would hope, both of the major parties in BC. Our expectation is that there will be enough pressure raised from the community level, from parents and from charter organizations, from voters, that the candidates who want to be elected as an MLA will have to recognize that if they support the plan, they will garner votes, and if they're silent or ignore the plan, they will lose votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make childcare an election issue. We think that it is an election issue. Um, we are um, about to meet with the Deputy Minister of um, Ministry for Children and Family Development next week. Um, to talk to him about the plan. We've met with George Abbott, the Minister of Education. We've met with Mary McNeil, the Minister of MCFD. We've had correspondence with Christy Clark. We've had several meetings with Adrian Dix and uh, members of his caucus. Um, and so as, a, as non-partisan organizations, we're leaving the door wide open for the smartest political party to endorse the plan and, and commit to implement it. Okay. And I just want to go back to uh, the, the child care crisis and um, the fact that a lot of people may not know that uh, there is no level of government in Canada that is responsible for child care. Can you speak to that more? Mm-hmm. So that would be in British Columbia. There is no okay. level of government responsible for planning of child care. It's different in other provinces. Okay, thank for you instance, for that on, correction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in British Columbia, um, municipalities, school districts, um, the province nor the feds have responsibility for planning childcare. Childcare just um, emerges uh, wherever either an independent operator or a not-for-profit organization thinks that they can make a go of it and that they can meet demand and um, they can operate. So nobody says, you know, this neighborhood really needs more childcare or this neighborhood has enough preschool and really needs um, some school-age care in an elementary. It really just happens ad hoc. And we think that that's completely um, inappropriate. And so the plan moves childcare out of MCFD um, which is a, a child protection focused ministry as it should be and moves early care and learning or child care into the Ministry of Education and just as we plan for where elementary schools will be built and will be developed um, the same would happen with child care that, that we would start to grow the system through our school board. Sharon, why do you think there's this disconnect between seeing elementary schools um, as something that we that has been long entrenched in the public system and that um, is seen as, as required and um, early child learning is something that um, we have not seen in the same way. But um, you could make easily, I would, I would say, and I'm, I'm sure you will make arguments that it is equally important. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's all tied up, I think, with some of our outdated views about the role of women um, um, and that children belong at home with their mothers. Um, and, um, you know, maybe some, some, uh, some thinking about um, where children learn best. Um, you're right about the strong case for the early years, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what's happened more recently after over the last few decades is that there's now a far greater understanding about brain development in young children and that most of our brain develops before the age of five and that we're actually wise as a society to invest our resources into young children where most of the learning happens even more so than at post-secondary, for example, um, and that we really need healthy human beings, healthy voters, healthy taxpayers to have a good start in life to meet their potential. And so as a society, um, we're advocating that we need to start investing in the early years. Right now in British Columbia, our government invests only $300 million into childcare. Um, most of that is in subsidy um, huh. for low-income families. And we're suggesting that that's simply inadequate and certainly not meeting the needs of children. It's not meeting the needs of working families, and it's frankly not meeting the needs of our economy. Um, and so our plan does build on the public system, the best of the public system, um, to expand those services to young children. And this is not about sending younger children to school. Absolutely not. I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. School would still start at age five in kindergarten, as it does now. But there would be public funding and the strengths of the public system from a planning perspective and a delivery perspective expanded to the younger years. Can you talk about the difference between um, licensed facilities, which is what um, you're calling for in the community plan, and unlicensed facilities, which we have a number of, but um, the differences and what that means ultimately for user fees um, for those parents trying to access childcare um, through unlicensed facilities. Mm-hmm. So we do providers. have um, we do have a system um, in BC, as in much of Canada, of a licensing system, and we're licensed in BC through the Community Care Facilities Licensing Act, um, which sets minimal health and sta- health and safety standards. So. Um, regulations around the group size, the ratio of of teachers to children, some basic safety um, requirements around criminal records and training of staff, um, evacuation, you know, fire and health, those kinds of basic um, the expectations we would all have around environments and, and care of young children. Um, but minimal standards. Um, we also in BC have something called um, License Not Required, or LNR, which is a system of registering um, home-based providers where some minimal standards are met, but not um, to the extent of being licensed. Um, and the numbers of children that can be in a License Not Required situation are, are much smaller. Um, beyond that, we have uh, completely unlicensed, unregulated um, sector, which really is underground um, and could be, in some cases, really high quality, lovely care. But also, um, all too often, we hear of the tragedies where um, 
health and safety is not being met. Um, situations where we heard in Coquitlam where there were over 20 children in a garage, for example, or situations where children are hurt um, or worse. Um, and really that underground sector has developed because parents have no options. It isn't an option when you're on a waiting list for over a year and you need to go to work. It isn't an option when you don't have $2,000 a month to spend on childcare. Um, and so, you know, these situations have developed. We would never allow that in our, um, for our 5 to 18-year-olds in our public education system. But for some reason, we've allowed this to happen for our youngest, most vulnerable children who often can't tell us in words what's been happening to them during the day. So the plan expands our license system, builds quality spaces for every family on a voluntary basis who wants to use it. And we think that British Columbians will support this plan when they go to the polls next year. Now, are there differences in um, what uh, the possibility for um, or the outcomes of this um, community plan um, based on whether you are a larger city or you are a smaller city or a rural area? Um, are there differences in potential inequalities in service um, provision based on that? Or um, tell me more about the funding model and how it, it takes that into account. Mm-hmm. Great question. So the beauty of the plan is that um, it builds on the rights of children and families to access high-quality, affordable child care, which actually is um, uh, in the Convention on the Rights of the Child, General Comment Number 7, and um, BC and Canada are signatories to, to that convention. So whether or not you lived in a, a rural area or you lived in a city, just the same way that you have an expectation that your child has a right to go to kindergarten through grade 12, there would be the same expectation around the ability to access early care and learning services. So in a rural community, that might look different. Um, um, and in a city, you know, we might need more of that kind of care. Um, but the right to access a, a quality service that's affordable with um, staff who are well-trained <clears throat> excuse me, and well-compensated would still be there. Um, and I, I think that's a very um, Canadian and British Columbian attitude that the plan builds on. Okay. And um, tell me more about the the network itself of facilities um, and um, uh, care um, care facilities programs, um, and how that would. I'm just trying to give listeners an idea of what this would actually look like in a place like Vancouver. Sure. So the beauty of the plan is that it doesn't try to start from scratch. It builds on what currently exists. So child care um, operators whether they're in a licensed family child care home, which can be licensed to care for up to seven children, or in a group child care center, which many people are familiar with. Um, it, those types of services are both included in the plan. So, for instance, um, in East Vancouver, um, we would need to have more spaces for a start because um, we've, we don't have anywhere near the number of spaces that is required. In fact, province-wide, we've only got about 20% of the spaces um, that families need. Uh, so there needs to be an expansion of spaces. 
So a family would, just like they know where their local elementary school is, they know where their local library and community center and swimming pool is located, they would also know where their local early years center is, their local child care program. And they would be able to find um, where in their neighborhood or in the network of early care and learning services they could find a family child care that met their needs or a group child care center. So it would be their choice to find the service that best fits with their family's needs. Um, and some people might want to continue to attend a Tom Thumb preschool kind of situation or they might want uh, a full-day daycare situation. So both those um, would be available. And the same way that we expect all children to be able to access grade 2 or grade 4 or grade 11 when they need that, that education. So families would pay a maximum of $10 a day for uh, child care services, $7 a day for part-time service, and there would be no fee at all for families who earn less than $40,000 a year. So we could do away with the bureaucratic, um, very um, old-fashioned subsidy system that we, is currently in use in BC, which is uh, welfare-oriented and quite a demeaning process to apply through. Okay. And uh, this is a, a more uh, a broader question, but there's talk about Vancouver um, largely because of the costs of living in Vancouver and housing issues um, that it's it's going to become you know a, a city without families, and many people have raised concerns about that if we don't address some of these issues. Do you think uh, that the the plan um, helps to to address and deal with that? that question absolutely um, families with young children um, will thrive in areas um, where they can access child care services um, and it'll be good for our k-12 enrollment systems uh, in in vancouver uh, when families don't have to move to um, chilliwack or um, mission in order to afford housing. Um, when we look at childcare as being the second highest cost after housing, if families were able to pay $200 a month for quality childcare instead of the $1,900 a month they have to pay to uh, access Kids and Company, um, for example, um, you can imagine um, what kind of options that creates for a family. So yes, being able to stay in Vancouver um, would be fantastic and uh, I'm sure that's why Vision Vancouver and um, Coalition of Progressive Electors, COPE, are uh, supporting the plan. Okay, Sharon, any uh, last thoughts? I think that your listeners who are intrigued by the idea of $10 a day childcare, um, maybe if they're parents now and they know that it's a struggle or if they're planning in their future to have children, or if they've got grandchildren, uh, if they recognize that this is um, the missing part of public policy in our province, uh, I'd love them to visit our website, Coalition of Child Care Advocates of BC. Uh, follow us on Twitter, and look for us on Facebook. Look to see how you can endorse the plan as an individual, and get the organization you work with to endorse it. We'd love to have um, SFU Student Society endorse it, for example. Um, we're looking for support to make sure the plan is an election issue in May 2013. And so we're looking for your support, your energy to move this forward. Sharon Gregson, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's entirely my pleasure. Thank you for paying attention to this important issue. Absolutely. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.
And you're here listening to the city on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. And you can find past podcasts available on the website and um, other additional web content as well um, related to uh, everything urban uh, from a critical lens. And uh, before the music break, that was Hannah Georges um, with Robotic um, off her recent release. Um, And before that music break, you heard from Sharon Gregson, and she works with the Coalition of Child Care Advocates of BC and uh, discussing um, the uh, what has been called the $10 a day child care program, um, which uh, has been getting a lot of momentum uh, lately. It was released in April of 2011, and they uh, have put forward a comprehensive plan uh, that can be implemented at the provincial level, which would provide universal and publicly funded uh, child care um, and early care learning um, across the province of British Columbia and uh, cities throughout the province um, to uh, to do just that, provide universal care and recognize that um, uh, those at lower incomes also uh, would be exempt from the, the $10 a day um, uh, fee, but something that would uh, recognize the inadequacy of current uh, child care provision in the province, which uh, is not publicly um, provided uh, at this point in time. And uh, we're going to, at this point, wrap up the show. Um, But I do want to thank you for tuning in. And uh, please get in touch. Um, Comments, suggestions, um, or uh, program ideas are always welcome. And you can uh, get those to me, um, Andy Longhurst, at... um, you can leave a comment um, on the website, and that's, again, the thecityfm.org. Um, as well, on Facebook, you can search the city critical urban discussions, and additionally on Twitter with the handle the city underscore FM, and uh, the email also if you want to send a note, uh, the andrew at thecityfm.org. So all the ways to find the program, and also on the website, you can find uh, the many ways to find uh, the program either live on CITR uh, on Tuesdays at 5 p.m., syndicated on CJSF on Fridays 10 to 11, or as a podcast. And that, again, that whole archive is available on the website. So we're going to go out with a track um, from. Uh, we got a track from Mother Mother um, coming up, as well as a track from. Uh, tops based out of Montreal. So again, um, we'll be back next week for more critical urban discussions. And thank you so much for tuning in.
Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts downtown at 212 Productions, Beach Street Records, Blim, Dream Apparel, The Fall Tattooing, The Kiss Store, Heart and Soul Clothing Inc., Hits Boutique, Pacific Cinematheque, Scratch Records, Final Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and Zoo Shop. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Sparkmaker, along with Carpenter and Narrows, on September 28th at the Rickshaw Theatre. After over 15 years, this much-acclaimed and highly influential Vancouver post-hardcore band is reuniting for one night of select songs from two of their most well-regarded albums, Products and Accessories and 500-watt Burner at 7. Tickets are available at Zulu and Red Cat Records and online at LiveNation.com. Despite the fact that 8 in 10 Canadians are against warrantless and costly online spying, the government remains stubborn, set to cement this scheme into law. With their huge PR budget, they've unleashed a reckless and irresponsible campaign that suggests warrantless collection of our private data is on par with a phone book. We can't let them trick Canadians. Go to www.openmedia.ca now to find out what you can do to get involved and stop this smoke and mirrors campaign the government has started. Yeah. 